this episode of this podcast is making me thirsty is brought to you by play now playground equipment welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty the place to be for seinfeld fans this episode 40 in this episode we talked to david krell david's an attorney television news writer producer an author, speaker, and historian. His books include 1962, Baseball, Hollywood, JFK, and the Beginning of America's Future, Christmas Movies and the Law, Our Bums, The New York Mets and Popular Culture, and The New York Yankees and Popular Culture. The latter, published by McFarland, includes his essay of Calzones and Costanza. Talk to David about that essay and about his... Uh, fondness of Seinfeld. We get into um, his writing and uh, we had a lot of fun with this one. We dive a little deep and uh, enjoy. Thanks for listening. Please pass it on. Follow us on Twitter at This Thirsty. Check out our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. This podcast is making me thirsty. Episode 40, David Krell. Welcome. This podcast is making me thirsty. This is episode 40. This is the place to be for Seinfeld fans. And this episode, we welcome David Krell. He's an attorney, a television news writer, producer, and author, a speaker, and a historian. His books include 1962, Baseball, Hollywood, JFK, and the Beginning of America's Future, Christmas Movies and the Law, Our Bums, The New York Mets and Popular Culture, and The New York Yankees and Popular Culture. The latter, published by McFarlane, includes his essay of Calzones and Costanza, which, of course, we're going to talk about tonight because uh, we're obviously here to talk Seinfeld. So welcome, David. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Tony. All right. Um, so, Howard, go ahead. What do you got? Yeah, David, well, welcome uh, welcome to the show. We usually like to kick it off by, you know, so you also, you're 89 graduate of Maryland. That's... Yeah. Um, um, also, the, uh, Peter Melman is an alumni as well. I wonder if you guys ever crossed paths. He's another. Uh, uh, I was in the same fraternity years later as Larry David. I was I in the Beta chapter of Ta Epsilon Phi. Did he ever uh, come by? No, but I'm, I know for a fact that some guys of his era put an alumni dinner together and he flew in. And some of those guys have gone to know my friends from the late 80s, early 90s. So, so 1989, you graduated in Maryland. That just coincidentally, uh, that's when Seinfeld launched. So right. when did you, and that's an interesting period because right, you're in college. I, I know you went to law school after that. Did you get into the show right away or did, did it, when did, when did the show kind of first I, catch your eye, if you will? Well, we had watched it in the student lounge at Villanova Law School. And I remember someone saying to me, it'll never work. It's too New York. And I think that was the feeling of a lot of critics and maybe some people within NBC. That's why it got a record low pickup. I think it was four episodes for the first pickup, which is the lowest amount ever. Even shows that get canceled after two or three episodes, the pickup was for 13. That's traditional. This was four. So I had known about it, but when I really became a fan was the episode when Jerry got a legal cable. And I think that's the first time you really see George developed as a full-fledged character because Jason Alexander has admitted for the first half dozen or so, he was doing Woody Allen. He was doing a version of Woody Allen. But right. in the illegal cable episode, you, the baby, I think the, t the, uh, the title is The Baby Shower. Yes. Yeah, the Baby Shower, shower yeah. So, Larry Charles wrote it. Right, George is full of vengeance. He wants to get back at this woman who threw chocolate on him during his performance. <laughs> he wears it under sweaters, even with the stain. Right, exactly. And I think that was one of the first, if not the first, you guys can correct me, that had two storylines coming together in the third act. Yeah, and interestingly enough, talking about baseball, I mean, that Jerry got the cable because of the Mets on Sports Channel. Right. Which anyone from New York, I mean, that's, I remember my grandfather getting illegal box because the Yankees moved to MSG. That's why he got it. He's like, I got to watch the Yankees. I got to get the box. Right. That's and he, what we're doing just to watch the baseball games. 
anyone who lived in New York in the 80s and 90s will understand when Kramer says, or no, I think it's Jerry who says, I hear they might be hooking the building up. It really went building by building. Mm -hmm. And it was just, a, it, it was horrible. If you didn't have cable, how could you keep, it, keep up with the Joneses? How could you keep up with news, with entertainment and so forth? Yeah. So, so the baby shower, interesting. I mean, it's a season two, which we, we love. We rank it uh, in our top 30. So it's, it's high on our list as well. Yeah. Now, do you rank it? Well, actually, let's get back. So you're a Jersey guy, right? You grew up kind of in the area. Um, so you can identify with the show, obviously. What, um, so season two, any other, any other, like, what are your kind of your, sort of your favorite episodes that you can think of off the top of your head, like a top well, five, yeah? I think when George is with the Yankees and he gets Jerry's contractor to create a space under his desk, to take a nap. Yeah, yeah. Anybody who's worked in a cubicle or in a small office within a larger office can understand that feeling. You're always looking for a place to get away. You know, nobody's going to actually take a nap under the desk, but man, we certainly dream about it. Or finding a blank office, a vacant office where we can do that kind of thing and not be found out. So that certainly is one of my favorites. I think when they go to the beach and Kramer just blurts out, hey, I saw your girlfriend naked. She's got a great body, buddy. <laughs> One of those lines that you remember from the entire episode. Yep. That's a great one, too. She's got a great body, buddy. Love it. Um, yeah, getting back to just kind of your book in baseball and Seinfeld. So the, the Baby Shower Season 2, getting cable to watch the Mets, pilot episode starts with Don't Tell Me What Happened in the Met Game by Tate. Right. Right. So there's a lot. Obviously, baseball is throughout the whole show. You just mentioned George working for for Steinbrenner and the Yankees, obviously, Keith Hernandez. I mean, there's so much there. Right. Um, I'm just curious, the idea of, of maybe not just the book, the, the, the full book, The New York Yankees of Poppy Culture, but just your essay. Did you write that essay first and then kind of cultivate the book? Or did you, you know, have the book idea and then you you brought the essay to it and, and sort of the genesis of the essay itself, the uh, of Calzones and Costanza essay? Well, I had originally set out to write the whole book okay. and it was about a week that passed and I called up the editor. I said, I can't do it. I'm, I want to write about Yankee Stadium. I'm not an architect. I want to write about Pride of the Yankees. I'm not a film historian. And she said, why don't you get an anthology together, recruit people? But I knew that I was going to write the Seinfeld essay. That one I had reserved for myself. So when I sent out invitations and emails, I said, look, this is the one I'm writing. What are your thoughts? Because I didn't want anyone to even touch on George. That was going to be mine. And I'm a big fan of alliteration. So when I was thinking of a, of a title, Calzones and Costanza just kind of came to me. It wasn't any forethought or, or I would like to tell you, well, I, you know, I conceived 80 different titles and I whittled it down. It was one of those things that was just full of serendipity. And it was fun. It was a fun chapter to write. I knew that a lot of people wouldn't write about it, but or 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 even think about it. And that's why I wanted to do it. It was so offbeat. You might think the Yankees, well, damn Yankees, the Reggie Barr, the Pride of the Yankees, the Babe Ruth story. I, Seinfeld is kind of forgotten. And I didn't want in terms of the, the Yankee uh storyline, and I didn't want that to be the case. Yeah, the uh, we'll dig a little into the essay in a minute. It, it was it's fantastic. Um, so you grew up in the the seventies, right? Seventies uh, and eighties. So and you wrote a, so you're you're a Yankee fan, right? Or I know you write about the like like baseball in general and the Mets and Yankees, but are you a Yankee fan? Well, here's how I answer that question because I get it a lot. I was born a Mets fan, but I'm a fan of whatever team I'm writing about at the time. I'll put it to you that way. So well, you're putting a lot of work into the research, so I'm assuming you just kind of go, yeah, you have to kind of. But I, I, if you grow up in the, in the late 70s and you're 10, 11 years old, you can't help but know what's going on with Reggie Jackson and Billy Martin and Thurman right. Martin because it's all over the sports pages. So, yeah, and so we're, 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 um, we're kind of a decade right behind you in that respect. So we grew up, my, my whole thing is you're really a fan of a team from like years eight to like 18 or until they win a championship 
So right. if they don't get the championship and you're you're 30, whatever old you are, I, I give you that. Just keep going until they get it, right? So we got lucky at 18, 96, Yankees win. So right. we had our entire time of of growing up and being a fan of them not winning. And it kind of hurt that Manley didn't get his title. But anyway, that's a whole other side story. You know, Manley is, is our is our guy. But the point is, um, all we heard about was Steinbrenner this, Steinbrenner that, mm-hmm. growing up, you know, from our my grandparents and, and parents, things like that, Steinbrenner, Steinbrenner. So to see it on the screen, all of a sudden, you know, the Steinbrenner list, and when when Frank yells it at, at, at Costanza, it was, it was a like a crazy moment for us to just kind of see that happen. Oh, sure. But what's interesting to me, and I wanted to get your perspective on this as a you know historian of baseball, when Steinbrenner passed away, all of a sudden he was a, everyone loved him. He was a, it was like it was like it was like the, the ninety the late nineties championships just washed away all that stuff, and he didn't have anything to do with the late nineties championships really. All of a sudden Steinbrenner was just a guy. I just always found that fascinating. I just thought I don't know if you had a take on that at all. Especially well, when, when death happens, yeah. when death happens, it's like watching with Vaseline on the lens. Everything gets a little blurry right? Everything Mm -hmm. gets a little nostalgic, a little wistful. So I think when somebody passes, that happens. It happens in your family. It happens with people you know. It happens with famous people. I don't don't think there's anything more to it than that. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and I think, you know, winning cures everything, right? Like in the, before 96, I mean, and they mentioned it, Melman mentioned it, like they were so meticulous about mentioning, you know, McGriff, McGee, Drayback, right? Remember, I know the yeah, list. Yeah. There's just there's great moments in the show, and again, it's it it feels totally geared towards New York because oh, sure. only we only we know that, right? Like only we know uh, the guys they traded away. So it, it's it's super interesting. So you seem to, I know it's it's obviously called Costanza and and Calzones, but you do you do um, really focus on George mm-hmm. um, in your essay. And it's interesting, you know, our take is seasons, you know, we look at it by seasons. Mm-hmm. So seasons two through five, we think are, you know, Mount Rushmore seasons, if you will. And then when Larry David left, and you mentioned this um, in your essay, even Jason Alexander noticed that like when Larry David left, George kind of lost a little bit of his luster, right? Like, um, I'm curious if you sense that as well. And I know you favor those Yankee years because he's with the Yankees, what, season six, seven, and a little bit of, little bit of eight. Right. Um, so just tell us your thoughts on some of your, like, why you kind of, I don't want to say favorite George. It sounds like George is your favorite character. Is that true? Well, I, it was a Yankees book. So it was nothing more than focusing on him insofar as he was related to the Yankees. Mm. If, this was an anthology about comedy, I probably would have focused more on Jerry and the parallels between his real life and his onstage persona or his on-air persona, rather. That's valid. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny. They all, like, yeah, George definitely worked for the Yankees, but, you know, Kramer going to the fantasy camp, yeah. Jerry just constantly watching, you know, you know. Elaine with the Orioles hat. Oh, yeah, there's, <laughs> what are, <laughs> What are like? What are your favorite sports moments from the show? You sound like a baseball guy, but obviously they they do include uh, hockey, golf, um, a little bit of football. Um, what were some of your favorite moments specifically on Seinfeld with sports? Well, you had Anthony Stark on a couple of weeks ago, and I was reminded the reason that he came to the character's attention was because of the shoes, and George <laughs> wanted to go in business. I had forgotten that whole storyline. Because I only remember him getting tossed out of the place. Don't touch Jimmy, hands off Jimmy. <laughs> I had forgotten about the shoes. So that one, you might not rank as a sports moment per se, but I, I think it qualifies. I like that one. Um, the one with Paul O'Neill and Kramer's approaching him. You got to, you know, you have to catch a ball. And then the next day he has to catch two in his hat or something like that. Uh, th- those were good. Anything where you can have what my eighth grade English teacher would call verisimilitude. Anything you can have where you can have real life and you can add some authenticity, these cameos with Tartable and O'Neill and even the, the small one with Jeter and Williams. I think Williams has one line, Jeter has one line where George is teaching them how to hit. Anything that brings that authentic flavor, it, it, as George might say, worlds collide. It, it, they blend. <laughs> and you know it's fake, but it's also possible that George would be interacting with these guys. Sure. 
Uh, that that's I like that. Um, it, you know, another uh, you did a character analysis in in your essay mm -hmm. that I had never seen before, and I actually did my own character analysis of uh, I bring it up all the time, but I wrote a uh, my library of science uh, thesis on on, this, on Seinfeld and did a kind of a deep dive. But anyway, your your character analysis comparing it to the uh, um, Wizard of Oz mm -hmm. was interesting. The um, you know how um, you know the the Tin Man was Jerry who had no emotions and no heart and uh, I don't know maybe touch upon that is that something that just kind of came to you um, I, I'm just curious for like uh, just I was interested in that little uh, I had I had maybe. first I had first made that analogy Tony with the Mary Tyler Moore show oh, okay because if you think about that show which was the Seinfeld of the 70s in terms of its popularity I mean Mary was number one. So you had Mary as Dorothy, always looking for happiness, and you had Ted, who really had no courage, and or actually Ted, Ted didn't have any brain. But that that's where you, you really would put him. Uh, Lou Grant was very gruff, but underneath lovable, so maybe he had no courage, and Murray was kind of bland if you look at him as a character in an analysis. So you might say he's more like the Tin Man, but the, the analogy is much more stark with Elaine and the three guys. And, and you mentioned one thing, you mentioned when Larry David left, I was talking about this with a friend the other night. When, uh, when Larry left, I think the characters got darker. Certainly Elaine got darker. She was no longer the girl you wanted to meet at the party. She was no longer the girl next door. She wasn't the girl in your office you wanted to ask out. There was a certain cynicism to Elaine in those last two years. I, I, I'd be interested in what you guys think about it's, that. It's, you're spot on. I, I'm I, one of our main contentions, so how is it gonna go? No, no, well, I, I always use, uh, I use the, the symbolism, um, Elaine's hair is, yeah. a is a compass for the show, meaning, when her poof went away, right, the uh, the quality of the show went down. Okay, uh, you, you label that as dark. I label, yeah, she's not the girl. She, cutesy Elaine was, to your point, the girl next door. Yeah, um, fun loving, just like uh, laugh out loud, funny. And I, we're trying to figure out why that happened. We had uh, Stephanie Kenny, the costume designer, on, and she made some good points that. She had new jobs that elevated her and her whole look and feel kind of changed. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, at the end of the day, these characters, you know, they have egos, right? They wanted to just kind of put their stamp on things, whether it's right or wrong. I think Larry leaving Tom Sharonis was the original director. I think um, him leaving caused, and listen, the ratings were still killing it, so it didn't matter. Sure. at the end of the day but again for like fans who wa who watch it from the beginning to the end like we notice these things right. it's interesting like it, it, there's it's still killing it in syndication now but i think people are people are jumping in at different points mm -hmm. um so a lot of the younger people we talk to like love right like these cartoonish episodes or the yada yada episodes right. um in the later years which you know hey to each their own but um to me, and listen, here's another point. We bring we brought this up with, with sportsmen before. The term pink hat fans, have you heard that as far as? So it's it's like a Yankee, like pink hat fans of Yankee. It's like the later years, like let's call it like Clemens and Giambi. Like they just, they show up, they're wearing a pink hat just because right. they're winning, right? Um, and we just feel, we feel there's a correlation between that and the later years of Seinfeld, right? Like. The yada yada episodes. Right. I'm comparing. I'm comparing, comparing Clemens to yada yada. I don't know if this is making any sense, but um, it's kind of just jumping on a bandwagon. And the ratings are good. Like the Yankees continue to win. Seinfeld is doing well, yeah. but it got away from the core of what they really were. Right, like the Paul O'Neills. Um, you mentioned Bernie, or even to Gerald Williams or Jimmy Key. I relate that to like, um, you know, Bookman and like. Uh, cutesy Elaine, etc. So don't forget, and this might impact our analysis too. Yeah, the show did not have a live audience in the past couple of years. I don't think they did anyway. A lot of what I heard was yeah, some of it. Some of it. They had so many different sets. I think it was yeah. harder to do uh, live audiences. I think towards the end, and um, that's difficult. Yeah, that's true. 
Um, so, you know, just looking, you know, you've had an interesting kind of uh, career arc with the, you know, kind of the news writing, producing, and then, you know, the law degree. And now, you know, the author that, you know, it seems like your focus is mainly on like pop culture. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, you had mentioned uh, before, before we started about uh, some of your jobs or how, how you got a job using the, uh, the opposite approach yeah. from, from George. Uh, yeah. We'd love to hear that, that story if, if you got well, it. Well, it was a company in the business conference producing arena. And these business conference companies hold conferences that get CEOs, CFOs, industry leaders, and they charge about two grand for the two days. And you get something like 12, 14 presentations, speeches, lectures, seminars, what have you. And I had been in that industry with one company and I was between jobs and I got an interview with this other company, a competitor. And I figured, well, I have nothing to lose. So whatever they're going to say, I'm going to say the opposite. Whatever they're going to ask me, I'm going to answer in a way that they've never heard before. So usually the first question is, what's your philosophy about producing a conference? How do you get people to come? And the standard answer is, as you might imagine, well, I do cutting edge research. I research the blogs. I talk to industry leaders. I send out 100 emails. I do interviews and I create a summary for you and then an agenda and a market analysis. And that's the normal response. My response was, I don't think people are coming for the information. They're experts. They do this for a living. They're coming to get out of the house. They're coming to get out of the office. They're coming because they never saw Chicago before. Maybe they want to network. Maybe they want to get a new job. And this is a great opportunity to get away from their daily activities. And this went on for about 40 minutes. And when I left, I said, there's no way they are giving me this job. I'm not even getting a call back. And the next day I got a call with an offer. <laughs> so, in, in, in your, so in your head, were, were you thinking... Were you thinking about George? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I had this speech that he gave to Steinbrenner in my head as I walked into the room, not, not meaning to be that sharp that he was in the show, because it's a show, it's exaggerated. Right. But to have that confidence and just to say, you know, what the heck? What can I possibly lose by taking a stand and being contrarian? What the worst thing that happens is they don't give me the job and they probably have 10 people coming for the job anyway who might have more experience than I do. So I'm really no worse off if I just take a stand that's contrarian and the opposite and whatever they say, I'm going to respectfully disagree with. And I got the job. That's great. I, I love hearing stories like that because you, when you're not, when you flip the script and when you kind of just, you know, like you said, think the opposite or, you know, yes. give them something different, they're, they're going to notice you. That's awesome. Well, Jason Alexander has said in an interview that's on YouTube about that episode, he has met people in life who have prospered with that philosophy. <laughs> it, 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 I'm not suggesting you do it 100% of the time, right. but it is true. Yeah, and Jason Alexander, it's, it, and I've seen interviews with him as well, just about the sports theme, that he was actually never into sports. Mm -hmm. um, but it's funny how George... You know, he mentions him and Jerry when he's unemployed, like, oh, maybe I could be a color commentator. Like, his fervor for sports really shines in the show, and it just proves what a great actor he is. Oh, absolutely. Um, so the essay, I mean, Amazon reviews, they're, they're exceptional, but kind of what's been the reaction kind of from pop culture, if you will, or from Yankee fans or Seinfeld fans that, that you've, you've received over the years? Well, there's a Hall of Fame symposium every year, except for the past year with COVID, and this year they're not going to have it, except virtually. But it's called the Cooperstown Symposium on Baseball and American Culture. And I go every year, I'm either speaking or moderating. And the last time I went, there was a really good response, and people were very much interested in the Seinfeld chapter, in the Pride of the Yankees chapter, more than some of the other things that analyze the more well-known ball players like Ruth or Mantle or DiMaggio, et cetera. Uh, people want that kind of a pop culture uh, aspect. Now I can tell you 
that at the Society for American Baseball Research, where I'm a volunteer, I'm the volunteer chair of the Northern New Jersey chapter, there are colleagues who believe that pop culture has no place, that something like this should not be in a Yankees book. Something like Mets movies should not be in a Mets book. And I completely disagree. George Costanza and Jerry Seinfeld and Elaine Bennis and Cosmo Kramer came into our living rooms every week for nine years. And towards the end of the series, what were the ratings? It had to have been in, in, still in the tens of millions. So oh, yeah. more people are seeing the Yankees logo and a parody of George Steinbrenner than however many people it takes to fill Yankee Stadium to get to 40 million. However, however many times it takes for a standout crowd or standing room only crowd to get to 40 million. So I, I think it's ridiculous when people say, well, pop culture, films, that's fluff, TV, that's fluff. That has just as much importance to the national pastime as, well, who was a better hitter, Ted Williams or Joe DiMaggio? I think it's- Wait, it's, so you're, you're saying like tr tradi traditionalists had a yeah. problem with it? Like a Bob, I don't know, Bob Costas did, but- No, they, we're talking about guys who are just interested in, you know, pure baseball research and, uh, and, I, and I've had people tell me, friends tell me, I'm not going to read your essay. It's not because I don't like you. It's not because I don't think you're a good writer. I'm just not interested in TV shows or movies as they relate to sports, which is completely ridiculous, especially if you're a historian, you should want to embrace everything about right. that sport that you can find. Well, yeah, I mean, just, uh, I don't know, it's probably my head because I got the picture here because I know this week was the anniversary of the, of the 1980 hockey oh, team. Nice. I mean, the movie Miracle, the Disney movie, I know it's Disney, but it's it's a pretty darn close movie. I mean, I, I've, I've researched that a little bit. I mean, they used hockey players on actors. They took verbatim some of the stuff that happened. I mean, if you watch the HBO documentary and then that movie, there's a lot of similarities, very close similarities. Sure. Um, and you're part of the Yankees, the, the part of the Yankees um, chapter in the book was interesting. It had the full Lou Gehrig speech, which I had never, um, I had never seen before. I, I hadn't realized, you know, what we see on TV is always cut up a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I mean, that's right there. Something. I mean, everything. I, I disagree with the the, the uh, people who you were talking about because I think everything's intertwined with pop culture. Like you said, if, if fifty million people, twenty million people are watching something, it's exactly. in culture. There's no way around it. Exactly. And I think it gets younger viewers involved too. There might be younger viewers who are 10, 12 years old. They see their parents watching Seinfeld. They're not interested at the time. But if they hear Derek Jeter's going to be on or Danny Tartable, maybe they'll get exposed to it and you get a new fan. Maybe it takes a while for him to become a fan or for her to become a fan. But at least they get exposed to the sitcom. And then years later, they might be like, oh, I remember when I watched that with my parents. I remember that episode. And then they become aficionados of the sitcom. And what's interesting today, like, I don't know if it could happen today because there's so much money involved. Like, you know, Peter Melman told us that there was no product placement, essentially. They can just use a junior man, a Snapple, and just did it because it was funny, right? Like, so I don't know if the Yankees would even, well, they would jump on this, I'm sure, if 30 million people are watching it. But yeah. it's so interesting how that happened back in the mid-90s. And for us as Yankee fans, then like they weren't that good. They weren't the Yankees. They weren't the Yankees know. until the late, late season of the cycle. Even right. then, we know when Kramer, when George makes the crack about you won the World Series. I mean, other than the Luis Polonia and and the and the Tartable and the Manning Lee split his pants and right, you know, they weren't good. The stadium, even in '96, no one was at Yankee games in '96. Stadium was empty every game in '96. Don't fool yourself if you're a kid. Yeah, doesn't remember that. The stadium was empty in '96. All season. But things, that, but things that they did, guys. It, it, I think we're so brilliant in the way they tied stories together when Jerry's dating a woman who's running a PBS pledge drive and they want Danny Tartable or, or George volunteers Danny yeah. Tartable to come on the on air and encourage people to donate money to PBS. That's a really clever way to bring in a Yankee. And I think we kind of lose sight of that, or at least I do, because I'm always looking for the laugh, I'm looking for the joke, and I remember the episode, as you say, it's still strong in syndication. But if you break it down like you guys do, scene by scene or episode by episode, you see some of the story structure and how brilliant it was in tying different storylines together. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
even something as simple as Joe DiMaggio dunking his donut or thinking donuts. Yeah. So they just gave Kramer that to give, you know, to, to have to have that tie into that story too. There's one thing I've never been able to decipher, and maybe you guys have a have a a point on this. When the marine biologist episode, when George saves the whale, mm-hmm. he's meeting this woman he had a crush on in college. Diane. Diane yeah. But he's meeting her because Jerry met her at an ATM and Jerry gives, why wouldn't Jerry hit on her? I've never been able to understand that part of the story. It was never mentioned. It wasn't mentioned that he was seeing anyone. She's very well, she, she, I believe she asks about George. Right. Which yeah, when, you, when you ask know. about a when you ask about a friend, I think exactly. you know, I right, think I'm that's right. when Jerry was like, hey, Broke out. yeah, it was just yeah. like, that's it, hands off. Like she asked about you. And then George thinks he's messing with him, which is a great George scene. He's like, Are you uh, right. <laughs> screaming in the, in the monk's diners? Hey, the guy asked about me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I mean, but that's where Jerry, I know we talk about Wizard of Oz, like he's heartless, but I think there he's like, you know what? I'm gonna do a solid for a friend here because she's like right. I never thought he'd amount to anything. And he's like, well, by the, well, he's actually a marine biologist. So like, yeah, he really was always doing a really good thing for George. I mean, George gets mad because he knows his, you know, he knows his alleys, but right. uh, yeah, he was doing a good thing for you. Right. Oh, I was doing a good thing for his friend of that one, which so marine, often in the show. So marine biology. And so tell us a little about the essay. So you, you obviously had done a, you did a ton of research on this, yeah, your right? Research is incredible. I can just tell that you definitely uh, did you just sit and watch every episode did you talk to people like from the show can you no. tell us a little bit how you got the no i approached it as, i approached it as a fan slash scholar so i knew that i wanted certain things in there but i also knew they needed to be footnoted or end noted because what good is that it's not very scholarly if I just say, well, here's what George did in this episode, and here's what he did in that episode. So you'll see that I went to IMDb a lot to footnote every single mention of a storyline or an episode so that people would have something to refer back to. I, it wasn't too difficult to figure out which ones I wanted in. The more difficult part was whittling down the show uh, part because I, I had to explain some of the genesis. I, if someone's coming into this blind, I wanted them, them to have some kind of a, a summary of what the show was about, how it got on the air, and so forth. Stuff that you guys already know about and that you talk about all the time. But I needed to blend the two. And that was a little difficult because when you love a show or a movie, you can just write 20 pages without breaking a sweat. And I didn't have that kind of room in the book. But I'd say, yeah. like, even for us who love the show, like, just reading this and, like, reading you touch on lines like uh, Larry David saying, you know, Babe Ruth was nothing more than a fat old man with little girl's legs. Like, like I laughed out loud. Like, I, I still laugh out loud at, at, at that. It's like, and him talking about Steinbrenner, how, like, Larry David, his team is the Yankees, and he's pretty much ripping Seinfeld. Like, not Seinfeld, Steinbrenner. Like, he couldn't act, you know. Um, it, it's so interesting that they – they passed on him like and i and i've seen the clip i, I didn't think it was as bad as larry david thought I, I don't think so either i was watching that clip of larry david on rich eisen uh on the rich yeah. eisen show where he says oh it was much better with my voice i didn't think it was so bad with steinbrenner i agree with you a hundred percent it was passable um maybe because it was a laugh track kind of a thing it didn't it didn't work but it would have been nice to have seen him in some capacity on there. Yeah, and it's it's just funny, like the late 80s, 90s, and maybe just because I don't watch sitcoms anymore, but like um, whether it's Sam Malone with Cheers and baseball, right. like baseball was kind of ingrained um, into shows. Right. Do you see it anywhere else now, kind of in, in pop culture? Maybe there's a a new essay you're you're working on now can you can you touch on that if you uh, see it anymore? Not, not in terms of being a through line in a show in there are, there are always baseball movies but being a through line not really and if you watch the first couple of episodes or first couple of years of cheers especially the first season they rely heavily on red sox terminology red mm-hmm. sox history i actually wrote a sam malone bio for saber 
which I'll, I'll email you guys. They could get it at saber.org or just Google my name, David Krell, S-A-B-R. And it's a fictional bio, but I watched all 270 episodes during the early days of COVID because the vice president of the United States said, stay home for 15 days. Okay, stay home for another 15 days. I gotcha. And I just went through every single Cheers episode taking notes to build this fictional character. And I had forgotten how much Red Sox lore and history was in that show from the beginning through the end. It tapered off in the middle of the run, but there were things like Tip O'Neill, Speaker of the House, coming into Cheers, recognizing uh, Ted Danson, rec recognizing Sam Malone, uh, Admiral Crow of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, same thing. So that was a real pleasure for me to write. I am a pop culture guy and I love the trivia part of it, but you have to do the research. You can't just rely on, you know, interesting trivia for an essay. You really have to do your work so you can flesh it out. Well, you know who else was in uh, Cheers as Sam Malone's teammate? Uh, you referenced him earlier. It was Jimmy, Anthony Stark. Was, right. uh, yeah, he yeah, had yeah. a small role uh, when Sammy tried to make his comeback, which... In the minors, right? I forgot about that. Yeah. I think his name was Slim. Yeah, it was, was Slim. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> cheers. I mean, Cheers is not getting enough credit for anyone younger listening to this. Because it's not on reruns anymore. That's what I think hurts it. Like, when we yeah. were growing up, I got, I got to the, the back end of it through reruns. And then just obviously became a huge fan of it throughout its run. But, well, cheer, uh, it cheers. doesn't get enough credit, in my opinion. Cheers was a big part of Seinfeld's success. Because yeah, remember that they put it on a, a Thursday yep. at 9.30 and back of Cheers. And there was that point, I, I don't know exactly when, you guys will probably know, when NBC said, wow, Seinfeld's doing well, let's move it against Home Improvement on Wednesdays. And it tanked. And somebody at NBC said, wait a minute, this is a Thursday night show, let's move it back. And I'm not certain if this is true, but I believe that when Cheers went off the air, the Seinfeld production company, Castle Rock, had the opportunity to take the 9 p.m. slot, uh, right? They, there must have been some kind of agreement, formal or otherwise. And I think that was a big reason the show succeeded. Yeah, Larry David always has, always has that line. If they weren't watching us on Wednesday, I don't want them watching us on Thursday. Right. He, he was like, I don't need a bouquet. You know, it's funny. Everyone was so excited about the switch to Thursday, and he was like, I, I don't want and, <laughs> and, and And I don't know if this is true in real life, but in the show when they're developing the pilot, George says, I have to make more money than Ted Danson. Yeah, oh, they bring up Ted Danson all the time. Ted Danson playing, did Ted Danson make this kind of money? Yeah, yeah. And then Danson makes a you know, huge part of Curb. So obviously there was something there, you know? And, and the Yankees are mentioned in Curb too. You have that, uh, the episode where uh, he's getting his dry cleaning and it's a Joe, Joe Pepitone. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you wrote that essay on Joe Pepitone too, which is- right. And Joe Babbitt mentioned in Seinfeld too, in the in the brawl at the uh, fantasy camp, I believe. And, that's and a great that's a great New York Yankee reference. Hank Bauer, Moose Scourin, Joe Pepitone. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and Boyer, these guys, like you know, that's when you can tell a true fan, and you can tell Larry David injected his fandom in there. And and Pepitone's also mentioned later on when Kramer's giving a tour of Central Park, and he yes. says Pepitone created it. <laughs> Joe Pepitone created Central Park. <laughs> That's classic. Kramer's such, he's such a New York character. Like, like you could just see that happening like in real time with, with certain parents. It's like hilarious. So you mentioned um, the baby shower. You touched on the opposite. Any other episodes that like, and, and the, when George under, under the desk, but any other like ones that you just, every time you watch it, you have that same, like just, crazy feeling of, of just pure laughter any ones that stick out to you well I, I think the one when Kramer and George are at Monk's and Kramer gives George this dose of reality you have no woman you have no job you prospect. I like uh, the daily news <laughs> there was a, it was right before I think it was right before I had that job interview where I watched that episode and I was laughing so hard I felt cathartic because you can identify with that character at that point. And that's why I went in and said, I have nothing to lose. But I, look, all 100, I think 180 episodes 
or we call it 168 because we don't split up part we don't split up part uh two-part episodes but if you split up two-part episodes it probably gets around 180 yeah um i i like the episodes when jerry goes down to florida to visit his parents the pen the pen oh the pen Uh, that is my all-time favorite scene jack clompus and the pen (laughs) Clompus is one of my favorites of all time. Yeah, I mean, that's like secondary characters, I think. That's what this show allowed. It allowed secondary characters to shine. So right. like you mentioned Clompus or Jean-Paul Jean-Paul or Jimmy, like right. no other show, like in Cheers, I don't remember that happening, right? Like it was the, well, Gary. the bigger cast. Gary would be the, the closest to that kind of a character where they had the running... Uh, the running rivalry between right. Gary's like ever. one time and one guy, you know, that's like new, if only Newman was a secondary character in right. and not Mickey and Harry, uh, Harry, uh, Harry Anderson. Yeah. The Nightcore, right. That's, um, what's yeah. Yeah. But no, the, the, the secondary characters that recurred Mickey was a, a great character. When I have a book coming out in December about Christmas and the law in movies and television. And I talk about, there, there's one chapter about the HUAC hearings. Uh, these were the anti-communist hearings held by Congress in the 40s and 50s. And that's the episode where Elaine dates a communist. Right. So I talk about the blacklist and why the congressional hearings were held. But when Mickey has to tell the parents, Santa is not a commie, <laughs> that is another great moment and he's and it's such a great character that you, you wonder did they have a meeting to figure out some kind of metric on how much to use these characters because you can run them into the ground you know there's a reason that Newman's not in every episode there there is a chance and I've seen other shows do this and I know you have too where the gag is just used too much and it was just the right amount with Mickey, with Clompus, and some of these others. Mr. Yeah. Wilhelm, another great character. Yeah, that's a that's we a great. Christopher Lawrence on the uh, the mall, the boss at that mall, Kramer's boss. We had him on on our show. Right. But, but uh, that's a great point. Like these guest stars could shine, but they didn't overexpose them. So, um, and the right and the Melman like talked about that. He's like, it was about the idea first, and they wouldn't jam a character in. Um, you know, at times, you know, like a Babu, if they had to weave them into the story, they, they could find a spot for them, but in a, in a subtle Putty, way. Putty may have been a little bit crammed in, in our opinion. I don't know if O'Hara really yes. agrees, but yeah, I think Putty they, might be the only one that they, but that's, you're talking eight and nine. That's why they were doing season. That's why we don't like seasons eight and nine. That's what was happening at that point. So I, I think with the finale too, that might've been Larry David's shout out to mm-hmm. all of those characters to how is he going to do this episode and then he got that idea i wonder if this was also an homage to all of those guest stars that really made the show i mean terry hatcher you asked about my favorite episodes the terry hatcher episode is just uh gold it, it like as banya would say it's gold um you know she david, has- you, david you i think there's a maryland theme here you're loving these peter melman episodes yeah, whether hamptons he, he's he's the gold standard right he yeah. his episodes are right up there but when terry hatcher comes back into the apartment and says they're real and they're spectacular that is just a perfect button to that scene and I, I really don't see that in other sitcoms. This was not a, a, a this was not a traditional sitcom, really. No. I think I think Jerry has said the closest parallel is the Abbott and Costello show because they had all these wacky characters in the building and and they'd meet people on the street and so forth. Um, and, and Jerry's a big Abbott and Costello fan, but I think you guys are right, and I hear you talk talk about these uh characters all the time and i didn't really think about it in that context until i started listening to the podcast because it is a universe that larry and jerry created and how do you have a universe without populating it beyond the characters and we're talking about it 25 years after the fact right so there's something really strong when, when you say to somebody who watched the show in when it first aired in the 90s or maybe picked it up in reruns 10 years later, and you say they're real and they're spectacular, you know what they're referencing. 
When you say she's right. got a great body buddy, you know what you're <laughs> referencing immediately. Right. You don't have to wonder about it. And I don't think that happens with, with any other show. No, I mean, I was thinking about this. The only, I think the only two that come close as far as, as far as a cast of characters that kind of, is the Simpsons and the Sopranos. Yeah. Um, the problem is the Simpsons just went too long and the Sopranos is not a comedy. And it's also, I think it might be the perfect show ever, but that's another story. But that's the only one that actually had characters that, um, that were so defined and yet so secondary. Right. But those well, are two uh, I can really- One really thing like. I'd like to share with you, I was actually inspired when the Seinfeld show was on the air. Um, people had always told me to take a stand-up comedy uh, course. <laughs> and I put it off, I put it off. And finally, I took one in 1994. And the guy who taught the class was a comedian named Scott Blakeman. He knew Jerry in the early days. And our final exam was to do five minutes at the comic strip, which is where Jerry started his career and later became an MC. And I said, oh, you mean five minutes, we bring our friends like at 5 p.m. On a, on a Wednesday night? He said, no, you're going to be with the regular comedians. And I did it, I have the tape somewhere. Um, it, it was really heady. And that's, that's at the point where sitcom was really at the pinnacle, where every, every sitcom uh, star seemed to be a stand-up comedian like Roseanne or Jeff Foxworthy. And, and Jerry was just the, you know, platinum as far as these guys are concerned. For sure. Um, just curious. I mean, are, are, are you, because you, your career panel, we talked about earlier, are you still a practicing attorney? Or just no, I, I I don't I don't practice, but I I used it in news writing all the time. Sure, I would imagine, and also just to research and just being able to dive into uh, material must be you know very helpful as far as finding the information and gathering it and, and making it into a, you know the way you write. Just editing that book had to, I mean just the research involved. I know yeah. the forward you mentioned so many different libraries and things like that, which I'm always sure. I'm always fascinated with. So well, um, I, you're yeah. you're making an argument. I I I, I approach <laughs> it as a brief. I'm making okay. an argument. So I yeah. have to get you from point A to point B to point C. And there was a point where I did this in a traditional manner where the show was mentioned first. And then I get into George and the Yankees. But when I looked at it, I said, that doesn't really make sense. I have to get the Yankee stuff up front, like immediately. Right, because that's what people are, yeah. The, the show stuff that. is not as important as the Yankee stuff. So when I got the Yankees information outlined, then I went to, okay, what are you going to say about the show? You're going to have to summarize it because people like you guys are going to read it and you're going to know what I'm saying. So I have to be succinct and hit the high points and maybe find a few quotes that hadn't been done in scholarship before. David, really well you, done, la man. you laid it out like Jackie Childs, like a lawyer. Perfect. <laughs> oh, I got one more. One quick question for you. Yeah. I saw you, you used to work at PIX, huh? I worked there briefly for about three months. And then uh, I was on the overnight shift, which I hated. And then I got a job at Channel 2 freelancing. Um, so I took that job because the, there was, there, the, the hours were better and there were more. So at PIX, I was being used like two days a week, three days a week as a freelancer. But... I was offered four or five days at Channel Two WCBS, so I took that job. I'm just I'm picturing you in a PIX meeting, you know, saying, "Oh, Channel Eleven, right?" I mean, <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, those are the kinds of New York things that, as you guys say, that that you could pick up on. When I went to Villanova Law School, Thirty Something was on the air, and Thirty Something was set in Philadelphia. So there were certain references that I could not truly appreciate because I wasn't from Philadelphia. Mm. And there were certain stores that they mentioned, certain indicators, certain towns. I might know what they are, but I wouldn't have the same appreciation as when Jerry talks about Queens College, right? Or right, right. Talk about going over the George Washington Bridge to get to New Jersey. It's different when it's your locality, when it's your, you know, your hometown or home, home region. Let's the Van Wick, the Palisades, yeah, the, the show was made for us. So many things, yeah. Right, and um, when they talk about the Hamptons, and, you know, someone has a house in the Hamptons, and, you know, I know where the Hamptons are. I've been to the Hamptons. Someone in Seattle might not know that, 
or they might know. But they still, yeah, but they still appreciate the show, you know, for what it is. I mean, obviously, uh, that's why we have a whole podcast dedicated to it. I think it's, and and to your point earlier on, everyone thought it was to New York, but really, you know, people are people everywhere as far as, it's just, it's just the small details that maybe are in New York, but I think the overall, you know, theme is. The, the idiosyncrasies, the the bizarre quality to some of these episodes, George mistaken for the neo-Nazi is oh, one, of my, one of my favorites. I'm not O'Brien. I'm not O'Brien. <laughs> Top three. Yeah. And Kramer thinking that Jerry was in on the Kennedy assassination when he was a little kid. You know, talking to Elaine and Dean. Well, that's, a, that's, that's another big sports episode, right? Where they yeah, reference Michael, Michael Jordan. Jordan like, and, like, you could see the sheer excitement. And I think like only Michael Jordan can bring that. And I feel like they weren't even acting at that point. It was- right. uh, Well, and, and when George is almost found out by Peter Krause and he has to get off the phone and he screams, AstroTurf, you know who invented AstroTurf? <laughs> the Jewish. <laughs> so that's, a, that's another fun moment. And you yeah, know, kids, like, honestly, people today don't even know what AstroTurf is. So I that's know, another- That was a great, great line. Exactly. Well, look, they, they, the, um, the beauty of the show is I think it, it's timeless quality. There are almost no dated references. I mean, they mentioned Dinkins and Giuliani in one episode. Schindler's List was a big movie. They did an episode about that. But by and large, if you look at what Jerry's wearing, it's, it's kind of what I'm wearing now. It's just a solid shirt. It's jeans. There's nothing indicating the the fashion of the time. Jerry wanted it that way, according to um, Stephanie Kennedy. We talked to you about that, that Jerry wanted to look like you don't know what time you're in and things like that. There is a timeless quality to it. And the idiosyncrasies of these characters are so identifiable. People might not admit it, but I think everybody knows a Frank Costanza type. Oh yeah, definitely. I I think everybody knows a goofy Kramer type, the goofy neighbor. So these are universal themes that, you know, that came into our lives. And we can joke and we can laugh about, you know, George and, and you know, taking a nap under the desk and, uh, you know, Jerry saying the wrong thing in front of Winona because he didn't know she's Native American and he flubs. We've all had a friend that has done that. You know, we all hear about it the next day. Um, you know, I, I don't know many people who have had sex with their bookish assistants and then offered a raise in the middle of coitus. But that's another story. Uh, David, love the Winona reference, but uh, this uh, this has been a blast, David. Thank we so uh, we really, appreciate, really appreciate the time. Love the essay. Um, they can find your book, well, Amazon, I'm assuming, any, Amazon, else? The, Amazon yeah. or McFarland's website, but I, I dare say, most people go to Amazon these days. Yeah, I mean, that's the way it is. But yeah, McFarland too, obviously. and. Uh, Everyone check it out. It's really good and uh, well-researched. And uh, if you're a baseball fan or a Yankee fan or just a pop culture fan, it's definitely something to check out. Yeah, keep keep up the good work. And it sounds like maybe there might be another uh, essay on Seinfeld coming out, like non-baseball. You clearly clearly done your homework. So we'd love to see it. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks again, David. This was great. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, David. Have have a great night, man. Be well.